Very good. Well, if uh, we're looking at one phrase in Revelation of why must, and the word is must, uh, Satan be released after a thousand years, and what is the necessity of the thousand-year reign of Christ, um, we're going to jump out of that and look into um, Isaiah as well as Ezekiel to really um, explore that somewhat. Um, And uh, we really are going to look at just a few chapters. We, there's a lot, and that we can spend many, many weeks on. Um, but uh, these are going to be ones that you're familiar with. Um, the difficulty in dealing with some of these, as we dealt with in the Minor Prophets, is recognizing that a chronological order is not um, commonplace. It is not commonplace for us to start at point A and go through time to point C through B. Um, rather, they are thematic. And so they're more concerned about certain themes. So if their theme is about God's judgment, they may jump from their present time to a time of judgment later, to the final judgment, back to here, um, back here, and then back to their beginning point. And so... Um, when we come to these kind of passages, sometimes it's difficult to pick out and to distinguish periods of time. Um, for example, they might talk about the New Jerusalem, and yet right afterwards they're talking about a child dying. Well, to our mind from Revelation, the New Jerusalem comes after the Gog Magog, and it represents the the final state, the final eternal state. Um, but from their distance of viewpoint, the New Jerusalem and the Millennial Kingdom were often interwoven with each other. And so there wasn't a strong distinction between them that we make today. And so they might talk about, you know, these things happening, and we recognize that as during the Millennial Kingdom, um, and not really in the, the New Earth and New Jerusalem that we see in Revelation a little bit later on. And so we're going to try to work through some of these. Let's start in, in Ezekiel. Um, let's start there. So if you want to go to Ezekiel 36, um, we have uh, a, design, a, a chapter, and we can read a lot of passages here, and I'm going to really struggle to narrow it down. So if I just start reading and don't stop reading for a little while, um, it's because it's sometimes difficult to just say this verse. And so I'm going to try to pick up um, on a few passages and then try to work them in as well as give you an overview of some other verses. So let's pick up in verse 16 of chapter 36. And again, we could start earlier. Um, but uh, we want to pick up here. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, I'm in Ezekiel. Hopefully you got that. Chapter 36, verse 16. Now, verse 17. Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanliness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, 
These are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the garden of Eden, and the wasted desolate, The ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. The nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as a holy sacrifice, like the flock of Jerusalem on its feast day. So shall the ruined cities be filled with the flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And we can go in and the next passage really deals with the dry bones um, prophecy. Basically, where are all these people going to come from? And God says, I can raise them right out of the graves. Uh, And again, the focus is, I will put my spirit on you and you'll live. Uh, And they will be purified of their uncleanliness. And we have again two different uh, events that are overlaid on top of each other in passages like this. Um, we, we really handled some of these verses when we talked about the signs of the times and the ingathering of Israel. And we have seen some facets of these verses already at play, that they have been drawn out of all the nations, that the land is starting to be blessed, but not to the extent that is described here, and certainly not the spiritual side of being purified. And so, and where Israel is humbled, in that place where it says that you will see what my hand has done, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight. You will hate yourself for not rejecting your Messiah all those generations. And, uh, and so in the midst of coming into the land, the land being given uh, fruitfulness again, which we see today, which we talked about, that this is prophecy being fulfilled in our sight in our age, we can see this starting to happen. Israel is greening up. Israel is being repopulated. That's what the 
fighting is all about is they don't they need more space they need more buildings more apartments the cities are filling up but the purification hasn't happened yet and so at what point will Israel be so remorseful uh, that they'll come to God and says they'll loathe themselves for how they treated God all these years considering that he is faithful um, and faithful not necessarily to them because they weren't faithful to him but faithful to his word it's for his own testimony he is going to fulfill his word to them and we talked about the purpose of the manila kingdom why must it happen we talked about the 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 restoration of creation the sabbath rest for creation but we also have the promises of god to israel that need to be fulfilled and filled up completely and that at the end of the seven years, the outpouring of God's wrath, as Christ comes with a rod of iron, that while the nations are, we're going to talk about them a little bit, probably next week, um, are going to be participating in the millennial kingdom, there's no doubt about it, that the, the believers will be ruling and reigning with Christ, but national Israel will come to this point where it talks about that they will loathe themselves um, because of how they treated him they'll remember we were evil our deeds don't deserve any of this they were good they weren't good all they can think about is their iniquities and their abominations um, and so they're going to turn to christ um, as a nation they're going to turn and receive him and bring uh, themselves under his kingship uh, again uh, and be fully repopulated fully refurbished as a nation and uh, Christ will rule and reign there. Uh, and we're going to see some of the dramatic topography that has changed during this time. Okay, remember we've had huge global events happen, right? We had it in the, in the sixth seal. We had it in the midst of the trumpet judgments. We had it in the midst of the bold judgments. We've had huge uh, changes in topography. That's the lay of the land. Mountains were raised, islands disappeared um, because of earthquakes, because of uh, celestial events. Um, and so we've had e- enormous changes of, of uh, the lay of the land, the geography and, and topography. And so we're going to see Ezekiel describing this. And we go, well, if you go there today, and people have done this in Ezekiel, and said, well, pff, that river can't possibly go where ezekiel says it goes out of jerusalem all the way over because it'd have to go up over the mount of olives but the mount of olives are going to be split i mean they're going to be opened up there's there's the 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 whole lay of the land is going to change dramatically and uh so we talked about that but the populating of these cities of israel and the in gathering but it also says i'm going to cleanse you i'm going to purify you God says, I'm going to deliver you from your uncleanness. Um, and uh, he's going to demonstrate that by no famine is going to approach them. Uh, and, and after that, this is, all right, the land is cleansed. And remember that that's after the Battle of Armageddon. So the land has to be cleansed. And the land is cleansed. Uh, there's no famine. Uh, the judgments are, are completed. And Israel is like, we are the stupidest people on the planet. Um, whatever it means to abhor yourself, they feel that way about themselves. We, we are horrible sinners. We are the nation of the one true and living God who did all this, and we didn't glorify him as God. 
Um, and now he comes in, and for the testimony of his own namesake, um, he is going to reestablish us in our land. And they will turn to him. Uh, and I don't know. A, a, there's a night that's a beautiful verse to say you're going to hate yourself and, uh, and the goodness of God being poured out on you. And then from the very bones uh, will live and they will put sinew on them as a description. And then finally, chapter 37 ends by saying there's going to be one kingdom, not two. So you're going to take two sticks, tie them together, because there's not going to be Judah and Israel. There's going to be one nation and there's going to be one king. And so it's not going to be a nation up here, a nation down here. You're not going to be split in any way. Um, you're going to be one nation and you're going to have one king and that king um, will be the son of God. And so uh, we have this millennial kingdom reign. But it's not just a political, a geopolitical reign. It's also a spiritual reign of Christ over Israel for a thousand years. And that takes us into Ezekiel. So let's, uh, oh, we are in Ezekiel, sorry. That takes us into the later chapters of Ezekiel, sorry. We pick up in um, the, just, uh, the following Gog Magog, and again, not in chronological order, okay? And so Gog Magog, I know, is inserted here between what we just read in chapters 36, 37, and where we're going to go in chapter 40, um, in fact, I would contend that Armageddon is tucked into those two chapters as well, um, and distinct from Gog and Magog, and reversed in order. Because remember, Old Testament prophets didn't really concern themselves heavily with chronology. They're looking at something a long ways away. They've got a message for people for their generation that they're focusing on. And so... Gog, Magog are going to rise and be destroyed, but then there's going to be yet another battle um, that the birds of the air are going to... So one battle, Israel's going to have to bury everybody. Another battle, the birds of the air are going to clean up after it. Um, And so I think both are described in those chapters. Um, If you want me to break out that chapter, really not my purpose tonight, I can do that a little bit for you, I think. But um, uh, suffice it to say that... um, there is a break in the narrative as well that God gives Ezekiel. So let's pick up verse 40. And uh, again, God is going to present him with another vision. And uh, in this vision, uh, verse 2, In the visions of God, he took me into the land of Israel, set me on a very high mountain. On it toward the south was something like the structure of a city. He took me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze. He had a, a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand. He stood in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything I show you, for you were brought here so that I might de- show them to you, declare to the house of Israel everything you see. And there was a wall all around the outside of the temple. In the man's hand was a measuring rod, six cubits long, each being a cubit and a hand breadth. And he measured the width of the wall structure, one rod, and the height, one rod. So we have this celestial being uh, that meets him with a measuring tool. And the measuring tool is a royal cubit. Okay, a normal cubit um, is this. A royal cubit adds a hand breadth, about three inches, to uh, three to four inches to a standard cubit. So this is a royal cubit that's being used. So it's a little longer because when the king buys a yard of cloth, he gets more. Okay, so if you go into... 
uh, what is the Hancock's fabrics, um, and you order a yard of cloth, you get 36 inches. When the king goes in there and orders a yard of cloth, he gets 39, because he's the king. Okay, so the king should always get more. So the royal cubit was always a little bigger, uh, by a hand's breadth, a hand breadth more than a standard cubit. And that's how they measured it. So he's out there, but the rod is not a cubit nor a royal cubit. The rod is made up of multiple cubits, uh, royal cubits. And so we find that it is six cubits long, this measuring rod. And those are royal cubits. And so if we just say a royal cubit is around 21 um, inches or so, we'll just round it to two feet, shall we? Uh, That's a little long. Um, Then it's 12 feet long. Let's say about 11, 10, 10 and a half to 11 feet long. And so he's using this rod to measure everything off. And from the rest, most of the rest of Ezekiel, you can use this rod, and he's going to give you rods and cubits, and he's going to describe for you everything he sees. And what he's seeing is Jerusalem. And he's seeing the temple. And he's seeing it all restored and rebuilt. But it's different than Solomon's temple. It's different than Zerubbabel's. It's different than Herod's. It's different. It's much, it's, it's larger. Um, it, it's, it's, it's got much, many more rooms and storerooms. Um, and it sits a little bit different. Um, and again, uh, we can imagine the high hill he started on to oversee the whole thing. And you might say, well, where did that come from? Because the only high hill is the Mount of Olives and you can't really look down in it. But again, all the hills and mountains and valleys have all been moved. Remember, one of the purposes was to enable the Megiddo Valley to handle all of the armies of the beast before the Battle of Armageddon. And so, um, topographically, we don't look at it through today's uh, elevations. We've got to think of what it's going to be in that day. And remember, it's going to be ruins that are going to be rebuilt And so we have this temple. Well, why? Why do we have a temple? And the temple descriptions that we have here, um, and they go on and on and on. Uh, We have the outer courtyards, inner courtyards, all the gateways. Um, We have the, in addition, we have in chapter 40, verse 38. Let's read this a little bit. Um, It says, There was a chamber in its entrance by the gatepost of the gateway where they washed the burnt offering." In the vestibule of the gateway were two tables on this side and two tables on that side on which to slay the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. At the outside of the vestibule, as one goes up to the entrance of the northern gateway, were two tables. And on the other side of the vestibule and of the gateway were two tables. Four tables were on this side and four tables on that side. By the side of the gateway, eight tables on which they slaughtered the sacrifices. They were um, sacrifices in. They, they, they slaughtered. They were, this was the slaughtering tables. Um, there were also four tables of heavy of hewn stone for the burnt offering. One cubit and a half long. One cubit and a half wide. One cubit high. With these they laid instruments with which they slaughtered the burnt offering. The sacrifice inside were hooks and handbreadths widths uh, fastened all around. And the flesh of the sacrifice was on the tables. Now you get done reading that. You go, wait a minute. Whoa. What should throw up red flags to you right now? Wait, 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 wait. What's the problem? Why are we going back to doing animal sacrifices? I thought 
Christ Jesus was the final sacrifice for sin. Hebrews says it was once for all. That the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. So why are we going back to sacrifices? Why are we going back to slaughtering animals in this millennial kingdom, in this new temple? And uh, it is obvious this is a temple not built yet. And uh, uh, it's one where the Lord will reign. So Jesus is going to be reigning there. Uh, It's in the new topography, post-apocalypse, post the the seven years of wrath, um, the time Jacob's trouble is completed. Um, Why are we having sacrifices? And this, again, pulls in one of the purposes is the spiritual reign of Christ in an era where the consequences of sin are largely gone, but we still have unredeemed people. So the purpose of these sacrifices um, cannot be understood as one of cleansing them from sin, because the blood of bulls and goats can't do that. So what was, in the Old Testament law, what was the purpose of, of the sacrifices. They, the blood of those bulls and goats did not wash away anyone's sin. Correct? Hebrews makes that very clear. It was a picture to point forward, and they had faith that there would be a sacrifice to come that would cleanse their sin. And so as they put this, their sin on the scapegoat, as they offered up the, the, this lamb, this bull, this goat... Um, and they gave these sacrifices for that were trespass offerings and things like that, sin offerings. Um, they are communicating something. I am trusting in the Lord that there will be a perfect sacrifice. This one isn't it. If this were it, I wouldn't have to offer another one. But the fact is I have to over, offer them over and over and over again. And in the temple, every day, there's an animal being sacrificed. And so... The blood of bulls and goats did not remove sin. It was that faith in the one that would be the fulfillment of those sacrifices. And so they were looking forward to Christ's sacrifice. Well, now we are in an era where you do not have reminders of your sin. People aren't ill. You aren't getting weeds in your garden. You don't have to have a work day to go out and pull weeds. Your animals all get along. Um, The earth is fertile. Death is rare. Disease is rare. Famine is almost non-existent as long as you fulfill the requirements that Jesus puts out there. So, for unredeemed men who are being ruled by Christ with a rod of iron, by what means do they have to be reminded that they are still in sin? Just because Jesus stands before you and you recognize he is real does not mean you have trusted in his sacrifice that happened 2,000-some years earlier. And so the reinstitution of the sacrifices reinstitutes the same purpose as what they were in the Old Testament, as a reminder of sin. That is still your own possession. It is still yours. And don't think that somehow every Israelite that sacrificed a lamb did it in faith. 
The fact is that Israel was showing up and sacrificing lambs on Saturday, and then on Sunday they were out sacrificing other animals to other gods. Correct? That's what the prophets said. You're going to go into, into you're going to be scattered among the nations for that. Um, you can't do that. You can't serve God one day and all the other ones another day. Um, either he's the Lord or he's not. And so don't think that everyone who sacrificed a lamb is going to be in heaven. They must do it by faith. And so it is during the millennial kingdom. Don't think that everyone that's going and sacrificing lambs in this new temple before Jesus is a saved person. They are being reminded of their sin. That sin requires the covering of blood. But they have not put their faith in Jesus Christ shed blood. That's rain. Good. <laughs> Got to think of how many windows are open in my mouth. And so this is the call of God. This is the purpose: is to remind men who have no reason to be re- to think about their sin to be reminded about their sin over and over and over again throughout the year. Year after year after year for a thousand years. They're being reminded, I'm a sinner. I have to go kill this animal, shed its blood because of my sin. And because I haven't trusted in the completed work of Jesus, who is physically present in that place. And this is the situation for that thousand years. And so the purpose of the sacrifice you see here in Ezekiel, the purpose of this temple is all, again, to remind men that they are sinners, even though it may feel to them like they are in heaven, that they have arrived at paradise successfully. The fact is they have not. They have arrived in a restored earth for, a, for just a thousand years. And then the end will come. And at the end, what happens, of course? We're going to have Gog Mega. All these people who are bringing these sacrifices and bringing these sacrifices because they have to or they don't get any crops aren't believing in Christ the whole time. They are being reminded of their sin, but they are not trusting in that sacrifice any more than they're trusting in Jesus Christ. They're doing it because it's necessary. It's required by the law. Okay? And required by the law does not equal done by faith. Right? I require certain things in my home of everyone that lives there. That doesn't mean they believe in any of it. And once they go out and establish their own home, then we find out what they believe in. But when you're in my house, you live by my rules. Once you've got your own house, you live by whatever rules you need to live by. And we'll find out which ones of my rules were adopted by you. So it is here in the Millennial Kingdom. God's house, God's rules, doesn't mean they're my rules. I'm just forced to live by them until um, I have a better deal. Can you imagine thinking there's a better deal? (laughs) But they're going to believe it. After a thousand years, ten centuries of wonderful Edenic living, they're going to think, yeah, this guy that's been imprisoned for a thousand years in a hole, has a better deal. So they're going to have to be reminded of their sin, and the sacrifices have that purpose. 
And so don't let this think that somehow we're reverting back and, and Jesus' sacrifice isn't efficient. It was efficient. It is complete. We don't need animal sacrifices because we don't need to be reminded of our sin because we've been separated from our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. But they will not be in that condition spiritually. And so they'll need to have this reminder all the time of their sinfulness. And so we go through this. There's going to be a priestly role. The priests are going to be functioning. Uh, You have a lot of the uh, holidays, um, the holy days of Israel reinstated. Some have made a lot about a few that are missing. Um, There's no statement of a day of atonement. Um, That's kind of left out, but there is a second day of atonement that implies that there is one. Um, And so Ezekiel is is just laying it out that there's going to be these certain feasts, there's going to have to be cleansing, there's going to be laws, um, and there's going to be a holy district, a, a sanctified slice of Israel right through the middle, and the alignment of the tribes is going to be different than it was under Joshua when he distributed the tribal regions. Um, and there's going to be a region with Jerusalem in the middle, it's going to be a band right across the middle of Israel that's going to be the royal region. And that is, um, no tribe owns it. It's Christ's royal ribbon. Um, And out of him, his throne will flow this river. And it's easy to confuse that with the river of life. Again, we can overlay these. Heaven, millennial kingdom, they're going to look a lot alike. So we're going to have a different Jerusalem, and we're going to have a new Jerusalem. So in a thousand years, it's going to kind of be a forerunner of forever. And it's going to be necessary that we have that um, because of the final testimony of this that we'll get to really next week. And so we're going to have a river um, that's going to bring, revive life to many regions of Israel, including the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, most of it is going to come back to life. Not all of it. There's going to be some parts of it that are going to be left the way they are, and I think there's a reason for that, and that's because of the mineral and the value of them to health. So if you go to the Dead Sea right now, they're mining that thing like crazy and uh, largely draining it. It's, it's, it's People have talked about the Dead Sea becoming a, an empty, a, a non-existent sea. Um, and if you go to the resorts, it's starting to get farther and farther away from the resort, kind of like an elephant butte during the dry season just kept getting farther and farther away from the camping ground um, but the bible says that that river is going to come out of jerusalem and i know that right now there's a big mountain they would have to go up and over and down but that's going to be split it's going to be opened up and that river is going to flow not west to the mediterranean but east and it's going to go into the jordan valley down and cleanse the dead sea and we're going to see all that come to life and so we're going to have this restoration of Israel reaching its full borders um, because God has promised that. Now, is that their forever home? No, it's their thousand-year home, but it looks a lot like the new earth that we're going to see in Revelation, at the end of Revelation. So, uh, again, we have a lot of overlay, and I wish it was very strongly distinguished in the prophets, but it's not. Just like Armageddon and Gog Magog aren't strongly distinguished in Ezekiel, so it is with the millennial kingdom and the new, new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem that's there. And so we find the necessity of this, that 
Why now do we have unredeemed men offering sacrifices personally to Jesus with a priestly role in place? Uh, we have Israel in her land. We have a different topography, but the, the uh, tribes are represented north to south um, along there. Uh, we have the nations participating in their own sacrifices as well in their own statements of allegiance. And uh, we want to really culminate this next week and finish up why as we get into what happens at the conclusion, uh, why this is necessary. And again, uh, I believe it is part of God establishing justice. He established justice before every wave of punishment. All right? So he established the justice of the trumpet judgments through the prayers of the saints that were martyred. Those prayers were offered up, and that established the criteria for that judgment. Well, before even the final judgment, the great white throne judgment, God's going to take a thousand years to establish the justness of it. That it is proper and right that that you have no excuse before him. Um, And God is very deliberate in establishing that. And so for a thousand years, men are going to be giving lip service to religious activity with no heart changed, with the exception of Israel. And it says that their heart is going to be replaced with a heart of flesh, their heart of stone. And so Israel is going to be responsive because we see they were sorry. They were repentant. They hated them, what they've done. They thought about their wicked deeds, and they go, oh, how this was, we, were, we were so wrong. And they repented. But we are not going to find that same attitude among the nations. They are going to do this because they have to, because it's the rules of the guy in charge. And so at the end of the thousand years, we're going to see two groups of people. We're going to see Israel in the land who have been sorry, repented, received Christ as their Savior, as their Messiah, and um, are his people, hearts of flesh, instead of hearts of stone, and they are going to be protected. They're going to be living in cities without walls, without bars on the gates. Um, And they're going to be largely totally unprotected, totally relying on Christ as their Messiah, completely dependent upon him, enjoying all the fruit that he has promised, enjoying the the life coming from the river, flowing out of Jerusalem from the temple. And so we, um, we, we see all of this and we recognize, well, there has to, these people can't it's just not a fair thing for them to live so well for a thousand years and yet they're still sinners. The sacrifices remind them of it, but they haven't resolved it and they haven't been judged for it. And so to establish the justice of the great white throne, we have a thousand years where men are able to, to, to claim zero environmental issues for sin. You have no reason on earth other than your will to rebel against God. You get to make the same choice Adam and Eve made in the Garden of Eden. And it's interesting that Ezekiel says it'll be just like the Garden of Eden. It'll be that fertile 
no evidence of the consequences of sin at all. And yet, in the midst of living like that for not a day or two, but for a thousand years they lived like that, they're going to rebel. Because the sin issue of the heart hasn't been resolved. They are not sorry. They have not repented. They have not placed their faith in Christ. They have just done what the new king has told them they have to do without faith. And that excuse that, well, how could I not sin? I mean, look at the world we live in. Is going to be gone. I would have chosen differently than Adam and Eve. But you can't say that anymore. Adam and Eve, we don't find any evidence they had a thousand years of Eden before they sinned. The evidence is that that happened pretty quickly after it was all created. Within probably a few months of creation. Some think days, some think years, but somewhere in that pretty recent experience. And so, um, this is the necessity of the Satan being released. We're going to look at his release and the results next week. Um, I didn't get into the Isaiah passages. Um, we'll probably look a little bit at those next week. Okay, let's have a prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, and we thank you that you are just God, and that you will always uh, establish your justice. Um, It's enough, really, for you to declare it just, but uh, for us, uh, we don't have a right to question that, to challenge that, but you, in your economy, have determined to, to demonstrate vividly and fully the justness of your acts, and we thank you for that. And Lord, help us to be mindful of the wonder of your grace that we by simply trusting in your sacrifice can get what we don't deserve can be delivered from what we do deserve and we rejoice in all you've done for us and we look forward to that day when we will rule and reign with you not only in the new heaven new earth but also in that millennial kingdom and lord we pray that uh, You might find us faithful till that day. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.